frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. <clears throat> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Louis. Happy birthday to you. And many more. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, and I am your co-host, Brandon Ray Selman. Uh, today is a continuation of our blasphemy episodes where we're trash-talking cinema. Lewis, as you might have guessed, it's his birthday. So, everyone... Please go and flood his social media with happy birthday wishes. He's at Walker Lewis 3007 on Letterboxd and on Instagram at Walker Lewis, I think. You'll you can find him. If you go to the Film Church Radio Instagram, uh the link to his profile is on there. Or you can wish him, you know, happy birthday on the Film Church Radio Instagram and he will see it. Uh, so everyone, please go wish him happy birthday. He is not on this episode, so we just want to send him love today. Um, he's still busy, and yeah, so we're just going to continue these blasphemy episodes, blasphemous because we're trash-talking you know, cinema and movies that we hate, but also blasphemous because... Father Lewis is not here today. So, um, yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. If you haven't heard the first part, you know, go listen to part one from last week. I'm going to shut up now so you can get back to um, the show where I am about to talk about. Well, you know, I mean, if you heard the last episode, you already know. Now I'm just rambling. I'm just delaying. Um, It's awkward without Lewis here, so. What can I say? Um, uh, all right, bye. Moving on from Fireproof. <laughs> we just talked like <laughs> a while about that, but um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to continue to get sacrilegious here. Uh, yeah. So we really were getting sacrilegious there. Uh, yeah, we really were. <laughs> uh, okay, so one of the one of the big movie disappointments that I had mm-hmm. um, was uh, a series of films. Um, the third one is the one that I would rip apart the most. Okay. But the was seeing the first one, it, it just left this huge, huge disappointment um, and letdown for me okay. the first time I saw it. It's it, it's better to me now when I go back and watch it, the first and the second one, mm-hmm. but the third one is just kind of unwatchable. Um, okay. It's the Hobbit movies. 
You might know from listening to uh, last week's episode, Zach doesn't know because he hasn't heard the episode yet, but uh, my number one favorite movie was The Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I was super hyped for The Hobbit. I was uh, I was still working at uh, Carmike Cinemas when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some posters from the theater. I was uh, I was like a, I wasn't the man. I guess I was like assistant manager or something like. I had keys to the building, so. That's the- Assistant to the manager. Assistant to the manager, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it came with uh it came with uh nine dollars and fifty cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I had keys to the building and um I had the privilege of getting to test screen the movie, make make sure yeah. that it, it looked good before it came out. So I got to see it like the Wednesday before it came out. Uh, oh wow, that's the first one. The first one, yeah, and uh, the whole theater to myself plus my friend, um, mm-hmm. literally just got everyone out of the building, locked the doors. We got our own popcorn and drinks. I went up to the projection booth, turned it on, had the whole theater to ourselves, um, and it was just like just this overwhelming disappointment mm-hmm. um i don't know what i was expecting i guess i was expecting lord of the rings or something you know like yeah. um and it wasn't all like the stuff like i don't hate the movie like i did when i first saw it like when i first saw the movie i was like i i remember making a post on social media which i ended up deleting but i was like uh I was like, the Hobbit is to Lord of the Rings as the Phantom Menace is to Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. uh, which you know we all know how much people hated the Phantom Menace, and we can talk about that in a minute. I didn't hate the Phantom Menace when it came out because I was nine years old. Me neither. But and actually, I actually think most people didn't. It did very good box office, and it got good reviews. It was the forty-year-old men. Yeah, it was forty-year-old men on the internet. Yeah. who didn't watch. Yeah, exactly. Continue um, to dislike. But, you know, I mean, I was 20, when did that come out? 2012. So I was like 22 when that came mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah, man, it was just like, I, I, the biggest problem I have with those movies now, still, mm-hmm. is they don't feel like they're in the same universe. The, and, and that's the same thing, that's the same thing with uh, Attack of the Clones and... Uh, mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith. The Phantom mm-hmm. Menace is the exception because the shot on film. Yeah. <laughs> it makes such a difference. You yeah. shoot movies on digital all you want. Well, That's fine. But don't shoot them on digital if you already shot a movie on film and it's you're trying to create the same world. It does not look the same. You know, the, why uh, does like Rocky yeah. 2 and Rocky 1 look, like feel like the same movie? Right. You know, why does Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 feel like the same movie? Like um the digital technology was also new when they were using it, right? Like like 
Well, on, on Star Wars, I mean, on Star Wars, yes. On, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on The Hobbit, no, but, no, Hobbit. but I mean, yeah. Peter Jackson was using red cameras, which I yeah. like red cameras, um, yeah. And but he was also shooting in 48 frames a second. Right, and then right. the orcs were all CGI, which is fine. Make the orcs CGI, but you should have done it in the first one if you want me to believe this is the same world. Yeah. And yeah. It, it bothers me so, so much mm-hmm. when I watch it now because it's just like that. It's hard to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the stuff with the dwarves and the and and Bilbo in the beginning is great. You know, the the singing is great. Uh, the mm-hmm. stuff in the, the cave with Gollum is good. Ian McKellen is amazing. Um, all the actors are great. But the the goblins inside the cave, like that, could have been so good. Could have been mm-hmm. so good. But it was just, it was like, it's like making a, it's like making a movie, and then you make the sequel, and you're like, let's just make it animated. Let's make it a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It's like you want me to believe this is the sequel. Like, I mean, and it's supposed to be a prequel, whatever. But like, it just. It, I was just left so disappointed. I, I, I've, I've grown to like it more now, but the third one is just the, the one I want to talk about is the, the battle of the five armies. It is so yeah. bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It is utterly unwatchable. I think I may have actually had this conversation with you once where, because I watched the Hobbit trilogy very late. I, didn't see them in the theater. I had very little interest despite being a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There were so many factors going into that that just made me disinterested in it. Yeah. And I didn't watch it until I think like when the pandemic started. Like oh, wow. Yeah. That's when I first watched it. And I, I think I remember telling you there's literally one scene <laughs> in that third yeah. that I liked. And it's the one, it's a moment of quiet after the battle where Bilbo and Gandalf are just like sitting there with their pipes. <laughs> I think they're like, I think he's like cleaning his pipe out and, and loading it up or whatever. It's the only scene in that movie that I, I was like, that was a really nice moment in this bloated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the yeah. climax of the movie is at the end of the second one. And right. then they, and then they just, let's keep going. And and I had high hope, like I, so I I really didn't like the first one the first time I saw mm-hmm. it. I, I like it all right now. The oh. the I saw the second one and I was like, okay, it's not too bad. Like the stuff with Smaug with Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. was so good. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Um, and that that kind of made up a lot of it for me. And then. And then the third one was just, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, oh man, I you yeah, know. Have you, ever, have you ever watched? Uh, there's a YouTuber named Lindsay Ellis who has a series of videos about The Hobbit, three videos. Um, that I, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, especially since this is a movie or a series of movies that made you go what like why what were they thinking that sort of thing it goes into 
so much of the backstory of what was going on behind the scenes with The Hobbit. Um, there was a lawsuit, uh, actually, I mean, this is related to stuff that's happening now with like the SAG-AFTRA strike and oh, the right. WGA strike. Yeah. That um, Peter Jackson uh, sued uh, New Line Cinema over them cooking the books and basically not giving him profit that he was owed. So there was this whole lawsuit. And then there was this whole thing with um, the Actors Guild in New Zealand. And uh, uh, it's just like deeply weird political stuff that affected the making of those films that led to the reason why Peter Jackson directed it instead of Guillermo uh, del Toro. Toro. The reason why there's three films instead of two. And it's very frustrating learning all of that because it's, it's like none of this should be dictating how uh, art is made. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I'm also in agreement that the aesthetic choices of that film are baffling to me because I love the aesthetics of the original of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. The orc designs are so good. Yeah. I was just reading an article. I don't think this was recently published, but, and this is something that I don't, I, I never think about, and I don't think people should think about this shouldn't take you out of the movie. But one of everyone's favorite lines from the two towers is looks like meat's back on the menu boys. Um, and, there was a uh, there's apparently there are people who stop and go why would an orc know what a menu is and so there was a an article that was a history of that line um with interviews from like the three orc actors who are kind of like the leads in that scene yeah and it was just such a fascinating read and like they talk about one of the guys was talking about like you know his orc character sticks his tongue out he's the one who's like Man, they're fresh. <laughs> yeah. yeah fresh. And he talked about the reason why he did that was because of the way the makeup was. And like he had this, uh, like uh, his mouth was getting dry and he needed to stick his tongue out and it became a, a thing. Yeah. And those aren't things that you would get, you get from creating digital characters, I think in, in a similar situation like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it... A human brings life to the character, and I know a lot of these CGI characters they do motion capture for. You know, I'm right. obviously like, you know, you've got um, Andy Serkis doing Gollum in the original, yeah. yeah, and it's incredible, you know. But I, I don't think, um, not to, you know, devalue the actors that played the orcs in the Hobbit movies, but I mean. Andy Serkis is uh, a completely engrossed and dedicated actor, you know, when it mm-hmm. came to that role. And yeah, I just, it just, I don't know. Well, I, I think, I think uh, it seemed, to me, it feels like Peter Jackson's heart wasn't in it in directing that. Well, I mean, how could it be if he was like dealing with all the politicals? He's right. having to be the, the guy dealing with all that stuff. Right, you know, and they're just there's trying a, to get the movie done at that point. But like, there's a there's a great clip of like Ian McKellen sitting in just like an all green room, and he starts crying. Yeah, because like he he's having such a hard time acting 
in this environment where there are no other actors with him. And he's like alone in a, in a, a, a space that is nothing a green. Everything is green screen. Yeah. You know, it, it's like kind of like the perfect encapsulation of the, the soulless end product of that trilogy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I just wish like, because, because of how much I love like the Lord of the Rings and the, not just the movies, but middle earth and the Tolkien world mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. I I just feel I still want something, you know, like I want to, I want to know what that Guillermo del Toro Hobbit movie was going to look like. Yeah, and he's getting yeah. into animation now, bro. Can you imagine like <laughs> if he made like a, a Hobbit, an animated, a stop motion animated Hobbit movie that looked like Pinocchio. That would be uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and it almost makes you wish that, like the Hobbit films as they existed just got canceled because maybe that could actually happen yeah. in a world where they never got to make, where they never made that. Yeah. Movie. I mean, come on, like, bro, like they're, they're throwing, they're trying to throw money at the middle earth. You know, they're trying to throw money at that IP, like make an animated Hobbit movie. Like, let, let Guillermo del Toro do it. Like, well, and who's to say that he wants to do it anymore? Well, you know? true. Yeah. He wasted so many years you know, on that, the other film. Waiting for the film to start, the production to start, and it um, never happened. Man, it would have been so good, I feel like. I, I don't know. It could have been terrible, but, you it know, but, it really should but, have been two parts, and it should have been directed by Del Toro, and but shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, yeah. and now we got one of the worst movies ever. <laughs> or three depending on how you look at it I, I, I would definitely recommend Lindsay Ellis's uh, just to look up Lindsay Ellis Hobbit um, she's got three videos on it and uh, it's it's pretty pretty good stuff yeah did you ever see the animated like 70s movie where um, John Huston plays Gandalf I don't think I ever saw the whole thing it's pretty good it's really short too <laughs> it tells the whole story in like 80 yeah. minutes Hey, that's uh wish more movies did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also want to see that Topher Grace edit. Oh. Did you hear about it, that? I think so. Yeah, he like he did he did his own edit of the Hobbit movies. Cut him down. I think I think maybe I didn't maybe I didn't know he did the Hobbit. I think he did the Star Wars prequels too. Okay. Yeah. And maybe I heard about that. Um but yeah. That would be a, a fun watch. Yeah. Um, well, what else is, uh, what else is on your list? So I'm going to change up genres here. I got a documentary. Okay. And, um, this documentary is from 2004 and I, I kind of, I feel like this is like the beginning of what I think of as like the, the, the dumb documentary, which is, um, I think a lot of people saw the success of, Bowling for Columbine, which was a huge hit and kind of started making really bad issue documentaries um, that, that really like tell stories that require like uh, an 800 page book, 
<laughs> you uh, know, yeah. not a 90 minute film. Yeah. So the, the film I've chosen is Supersize Me. Ah, um, yeah. A movie that I saw in theaters on its original run. <laughs> I'm old enough uh, to have not had to sit through this movie in an actual like high school health class. <laughs> did they do but, that? Uh, they do. Or they did. I don't know if they still do. But yes, I, I've I've read many stories of people who had to watch this movie in middle school or high school. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're just serving like trash in the cafeteria. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say about the film other than it, its premise just kind of makes me roll my eyes. Yeah. Um, but this is, again, I think another one of those movies where I get more mad at it when I consider the reaction to it because there's so many people who think it's uh, an educational film. It made money. It was nominated for an Oscar, but it also spawned all of these counter documentaries about how, you know, uh, the whole premise of just eating McDonald's for 30 days is just such a cartoonishly silly, unscientific way of illustrating that this food is bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen it. I mean, it's it's like it's it's uh, kind of infamous, I guess. Morgan Spurlock, the director and star, decides he's going to subject himself to eating nothing but McDonald's for thirty days. Well, see, I know about. It. See, I do know that. It's like I I think most people have probably heard and know about this movie, even yeah. if they've never seen it. I, well, I don't know about the younger generation, but like, well, there's a notable scene, um, where. I don't know how far into it he is, but he goes to his doctor and his doctor says, you have the liver damage of an alcoholic, like, like based on this diet, like, the, like this is damaging your liver in a matter of weeks. This is damaging your liver. Like, I feel like I'm looking at the liver of an alcoholic and Morgan Spurlock has not had a single drop of alcohol. Which later turned out to be a lie. He was actually an alcoholic while he was making this film. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't want to, like, disparage him uh, being an alcoholic. You know, that uh, alcoholism is a serious illness. Well, yeah. Sorry that I bursted out laughing. It's just super ironic. But it, it is. Um, and it, But it just, it makes, it. you know, it's like poking a hole in a balloon. And then the balloon goes, spins around the room with the air coming out with a fart noise. That's like what this documentary kind of, uh, to me that, that that's, it's, it's just so full of holes and, 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 and uh, its reputation should be that it's bullshit. Um, yeah. But uh, people still watch it. I think, I don't know. Maybe they don't, maybe, maybe it has gone the way of the dinosaur, uh, of the dodo. Um, but I remember seeing it in theaters and witnessing in real time the sort of popularity of it. Yeah. Yeah, that and is kind of crazy because, yeah, I mean, it was basically a viral indie doc. Right. Which, which into, like, today you kind of have to, uh, I mean, that that's how a lot of people make it is they find, like, a premise that people feel like they have to watch. I mean, the idea of a guy eating McDonald's every day, you're like, I kind of got to see this. What you know, especially back then, 
it was kind of like I mean now it's like I feel like people do stuff like this all the time to get attention but I mean this is a whole genre on YouTube of people just sitting down eating you know 6,000 calories of fast food in one sitting <clears throat> Super Size Me 2 Holy Chicken 2017 Morgan uh, I haven't seen that but I, I believe the premise deals with um, the uh, the fast food industry's shift towards chicken as a major um, like selling point, which is interesting to me because I've noticed that one of the biggest fast food chains in the country is Chick Fil A. Yeah, it's all chicken, and Chick Fil A is so in- influential. We're getting back into our evangelical territory. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, every restaurant has to create their version of the Chick-fil-A sandwich. But that movie also has a gimmick, which I think is he tries to start his own restaurant. Mm. I think these documentaries, documentaries like this, it's the gimmicks that make the movies sell. But those are the reasons I dislike the movies. Yeah, because they're gimmicky. It's a gimmick. Yeah. You don't need to eat McDonald's every day for 30 days to prove that it's bad for you. And like exploring fast food and its rise and like its popularity and its kind of place in America and the world. That's interesting material, but there's no gimmick there. There isn't a there isn't a catchy, you know, hook like eating it for thirty days. And always, if if they ask if you want to supersize it, he has to say yes. <laughs> oh God! And and we don't know how his liver was actually affected by McDonald's. There's some there was some show we were watching recently where they um, the it's like a personal trainer show and the personal trainers, every episode, the, the personal trainer like has a person that they're trying to, that's like, you know, very overweight, like obese. Um, and the personal trainer is super fit. Right. But then they gain a bunch of weight, um, to get up to the weight that their client is so that they can go through losing the weight together. I feel like that's an influence of this yeah. this kind of movie. And it's horrendous to watch because the people are just like damaging their bodies so much. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first, like, ev- like at the beginning of every episode, they, they just, uh, you know, on their first night of like trying to gain weight, they just eat till they puke. And it's like a part of the show. Yeah, like every every trainer does it. They eat till they they're just like, oh, you know, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> but um, I watched like six episodes, so <laughs> it got me. <laughs> that's that's the worst part about documentaries like that is they they have figured out. Uh, the right formula for editing these things to make you want to keep watching. Yeah. You know? So I only have a couple of movies left on my list, but do, do you want to just like keep going on your list so that I'll still have some later? 
<laughs> sure. All right, we're going to stay in contemporary times uh, before I move on to my uh, older, older movies. Films. Cool, because my, yeah. my next movie is an older movie, and then I have a more contemporary movie. Okay, so should I pick an older movie? No, no, no. Uh, maybe I should... I could talk about the contemporary movie, and then... Okay. You can talk about your contemporary movie, and then we can do okay. the older movies. Okay. Now, contemporary is, is also relative, because this is 2008. Okay. The film, yeah. uh, you know, it's not that... It's 21st century. Um, but the film is The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And... I'm pretty sure uh, I've seen this. It basically comes down to it's a... Uh, a very bad Holocaust film. It's got a 7.7 on IMDb. It is it is a very popular Holocaust film as well. Miramax. It is uh it's based on a novel. And uh, my understanding, I haven't read the book, but my understanding is that the film is I it's pretty accurate to the book. It's not a long novel, and a lot of the criticisms that I have of the film are things that other people have also criticized the film for and also criticized the book. It, it basically comes down to like the, uh, the idea that it is, um, it misrepresents, um, the way, uh, Germans, uh, knew about the Holocaust and it has a, a focus on, um, the Nazi characters in a way that it's, it's sympathy kind of lies with, um, a Nazi child. Now, there are ways to do that effectively. Jojo Rabbit is, is, is kind of an example of that. But The Boy in the Striped Pajamas just sort of handles the story in, in, uh, in the wrong way, I guess you'd say. Um, but the problem is that it's a widely taught book and film. So a lot of kids now watch this movie or teenagers read this book and watch this movie when they're learning about the Holocaust. And I think it was, let's see, the Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum has basically uh, put out this, uh, that, uh, a statement or, or a kind of a study that this is a bad representation of the Holocaust and it's a bad way to learn about it. Um, they actually found, they did a study where they interviewed kids who had read the book and uh, like found that their knowledge of the Holocaust was worse if if they if they didn't know anything about it before reading the book than if they read the book after knowing about the Holocaust already. Sorry, say that again. So their their knowledge was worse <laughs> if they had seen the movie and then read about the Holocaust. Basically, what this study found was if a uh, young person's first introduction to the Holocaust was through the boy in striped pajamas, what the researchers found was that that eventually they would know they knew less about the Holocaust uh, by learning it through this film or this book than other films and books. Right. Yeah, just because it doesn't represent like what happened. I mean, is it is it a bad movie? Like, is it a bad is it a bad movie or is it is it is it the is the problem that it is used um, in history classes? The problem is that it is used in history classes. It is a 
it's I mean it's a it's a perfectly well made film. There's nothing um but it, like bad filmmaking, but it's is the it's representation of the like this of this child's story accurate accurate or is no. it just that it is not it's a holocaust movie that's not focusing on the horrors of the holocaust or like it, it is it is a historically inaccurate um and but like, like i have a weird relationship with historical accuracy because a lot of times i don't i'm not bothered by historical inaccuracy but but you can use historical inaccuracy to kind of encapsulate what history might have really been like. There's a lot of historical inaccuracies in Quentin Tarantino's historical films, and I'm not just talking about the parts where they, they diverge from history. There's like bad history in Django Unchained in terms of like dates and timelines and places. That's fine. Um, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas is is kind of just misguided in where it put puts its focus. It's about a friendship between a, a German boy who's the son of like a camp leader and a child in the camp who is like going to the fences and they're becoming friends through the fence. And it kind of ignores the fact that the vast majority of kids were killed when they were brought into concentration camps. And the tr central tragedy of the book and the film, if I can spoil it for you, yeah, I think I've seen it, honestly. But. Is that the kid, that the German kid dies because he's mistaken for a Jew. And I just find it very disturbing that the, that that is the sort, sort of central tragedy of the film. Hmm. When the real tragedy is the Holocaust itself. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like one of those things, it's like, what if it was your kid? It sounds like yeah. it sounds like a it sounds like a Holocaust film that's made for um, the actual Nazis. Uh, kind of, yeah. Like you know that the Nazis. It's the film that the Nazis should have seen during the Holocaust. You know, it's like their propaganda film or something. I don't know to be like. Well, I I think that when you've got like actual um, concentration camps, museums putting statements out against your film. Or um, the USC Shoah Foundation is a, is like a big organization about representation of the Holocaust in media, and they they I think they actually targeted the book. I don't know if they've ever commented on the film, but they're they're um, they I think they actually I think like the Anne Frank Museum um, got into like an argument with the author of the novel on Twitter. Um, and that's another thing is I think the author has been very like defensive of the book. Like I did my research and, and it's a good book and it, it's touched a lot of people. And when you've got like the Anne Frank Museum and the Auschwitz Museum and the Shoah Foundation coming at you and saying, this is bad, uh, this is bad representation, you probably, you probably are, should be listening to them. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's made, I think it's made worse by the fact that the book and the film are taught so often because like it has a high score on IMDb or whatever. It's a well-liked film by a lot of people who see it. Right. Whom, who, but um, it is used as a teaching tool and I have weird issues with that, but um, 
the Showa Foundation, I think, has also said that Jojo Rabbit is, uh, whether you like that film or not, I know it has some pretty strong haters out there on the internet, um, but Jojo Rabbit is a film that they've actually said is a, a pretty great teaching tool for kids learning about the Holocaust. Interesting. Um, I mentioned I'm not an evangelical Christian, and I didn't grow up in a religious household, but I am Jewish. Um, and so I think, too, as a film as a film person um, and considering the state of the world, the rise of right-wing thought throughout the West, I try to be kind of conscious of how the Holocaust is continuing to be presented in media, especially as we get further and further away from it. Yeah. Uh, you can't interview survivors you know or you're, you're running out of survivors to to be the face of the holocaust and 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 talk about that tragedy as time goes on and so i do think for me it's a subject that i'm very conscious of 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 what films and what media is putting out and how it's represented yeah especially if that's widely seen media like the boy in the striped pajamas. Yeah, that's, and I think that's my. I think I've said my piece on. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know. I mean, I I I think I kind of watched this movie passively. Um, yeah. At my grandparents' house, maybe I think they put it on one Christmas, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's got a great cast. Um, uh, Asa Butterfield. I think it was like one of his first. Uh, roles. Vera Farmiga's in it. David Thewlis is in it. I, I think it's just, it's got, a, it's like an apple with a rotten core to me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, good to know. I mean, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I definitely knew of if the film have, and had seen. If you have kids, don't show them that. Movie. Yeah, exactly. Show them Jojo Rabbit or Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards when they're a little older. Um, so the the other uh, film that I had that is more recent, just to change the tone up a little bit, mm-hmm. is Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> the film that was supposed to be the uh, you know the James Cameron approved. Terminator sequel um, is probably my least favorite Terminator sequel of all the Terminator sequels. Terminator 3 mm-hmm. is better than this. Terminator Genesis and Terminator Salvation are better than this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, good cast. You know, good director. Arnie's in it. He's, he's Arnie. Um, but, you know, it's like it kind of ended with the second one. So all of them were a stretch after that. Terminator Salvation could have been a trilogy of like the post-apocalyptic, you know, John Connor trilogy, you know, ending with him going back in time or not him going back in time, but sending the guy back in time. Yeah. I like Terminator Salvation. I like Terminator. I thought Terminator Genesis was good. Um, I, I, they're kind of Terminator movies are kind of my guilty pleasure. Um, Mm -hmm. but this one, I was like, this is no, you... I um I, I'm there with you. I didn't like this one. I always hate like sequel resets. Yeah, where it's like you know like 
how many direct sequels to Terminator 2 do there have to be um, before they get it right? Um, the Halloween movies kind of have that problem too. Yeah. I I have a I have a really great idea for a Terminator sequel. Uh-huh. <laughs> that uh that I wish this movie was um because they introduced a concept in either it was either Terminator I think it was Terminator Genesis uh where a Terminator got stuck in the past but then he mm-hmm. but then he actually aged and that's why yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is, looks older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a cool idea. So yeah. why not? Um, <laughs> the, the so the problem with the, all the sequels after uh, Terminator Two is that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the good guy. Is that the Terminator yeah. is the good guy? Yeah. But they already did Terminator is the good guy perfectly in Terminator Two. <laughs> you don't need mm-hmm. to do that again. Right. What you need to do is make Arnold Schwarzenegger. The Terminator. Right. So why not make a Terminator 3 where the apocalypse doesn't happen? You know, they save the world at the end of Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. John Connor and, and his mom, Sarah Connor, are, you know, living their perfect life. He's got a family mm-hmm. and kids. Um, but then a Terminator who got sent, who who is from the eighties, who got sent yeah. back in time or whatever to kill John Connor, he got he he got sent somewhere where he got stuck. He got sent into a prison yeah. or a cage or somewhere yeah. where he was yeah. buried underground, and then ages finally comes out of ground out of the ground, and then he's here to kill John Connor. And all you need to do is have one Terminator trying to kill John Connor, and that's your movie. Yeah. And that would have been so fun. Just Arnold Schwarzenegger as a badass old robot Terminator trying to kill them. I like that concept because I I do like the idea of the Terminator aging. And, you know, the end of the second one, they stop the apocalypse. Exactly. So anytime you are redoing the apocalypse, like, oh, no, it actually just got pushed back you're you're fucking that up right um and the other thing is that there, there really isn't a good the first terminator is such a perfect film that i'm okay with every terminator just being a remake of that yeah with some added feature like oh, now it's an elderly <laughs> arnold <Schwarzenegger laughs> yeah coming an adult John Connor who's got a family and a normal life. We stopped the apocalypse, but how many other robots are there wandering around stuck in time? Like, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I, the dark fate, I was just tired of the franchise by that point. Um, the other thing is that after the liquid metal Terminator from the second one, They've never done a new cool villain robot. Yeah. Since then. Like their attempts at upping the ante on the villain Terminators, making them liquid metal, but also exos. I don't know. Like they've not, nobody has found that perfect, like um, formula for what that new advanced robot would be. 
But like you say, you don't need it. You just need Arnold. I also have a soft spot for Terminator Genesis because it's kind of stupid. <laughs> like, like, and I think it, I feel like it just leans into like, this movie is dumb. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of disappointing that that movie sets up sequel stuff that now is just in that movie and leads to nothing like Matt Smith. Yeah, I, I can't. Because that was supposed to be like a, the start of a trilogy. Well, so was Terminator Salvation. It's like, they, you know. <laughs> They're obviously not very good at starting trilogies. So, uh, more technical difficulties on my side, uh, but we're back now. Sorry about that um, little hiccup. But you were basically saying that... Um, yeah, Terminator Genesis was supposed to be set up a trilogy, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, and Terminator Salvation was also supposed to set up a trilogy. Um, but with Terminator Salvation, that was... Uh, I mean, that was Christian Bale playing John Connor, and he had a whole meltdown on set yeah, that, that went viral. And um, <laughs> it's a whole unfortunate thing. Um, but it's, it's, but I, I would have liked a, a Christian Bale trilogy. That would have been cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even just these one-offs are fine too, you know? It's almost like the universe is, is trying to say that Terminator just needs to be two movies. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's weird because this one had like the, it was like the blessing of, James Cameron, which like, did he not give his blessings on the other ones? Like, yeah, and how much of that is just PR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was the return of Linda Hamilton that sort of like got him to put in a good word. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's hard to say. Yeah, he makes money off I mean, of them regardless, I assume. Do what now? He makes money off of them regardless. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And probably more if he gives his blessing. <laughs> but I mean, he doesn't need money. Who are we get? No, he's, he's, he's good. He's set. Yeah. What? So, I guess he, he's credited as a story writer on it. Huh? But there are, there are uh, four other story by credits. I don't know how it's, how it's credited in the film. Um, and story by is a very loaded credit because, it could mean that you wrote a whole script and there's not enough of it left in the, the finished film to merit a written by credit, um, you know, or it could mean that you contributed to a treatment. I think that could be a variety of, of, of input. Yeah. And dream and treatments could be in various shapes and sizes right, as well. Right. I mean, it's like, oh, what was it? What was it recently that, that I was talking about. Um, I can't remember what it was. Somebody wrote like a 90 page treatment or something. And it was like, that's basically a script. <laughs> it was probably James Cameron. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. A lot of, cause I think a lot of his, he, he writes scriptments. They're like treatment screenplay hybrids where it's like basically a treatment, but there, there are portions where he, he knows what the scene's going to be, so he just writes the scene out in screenplay. Oh. So it's like a mixture of 
treat. It was, oh. uh, it, it was, uh, artificial intelligence. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause Spielberg wrote the script, but it's based on Kubrick's 90 page treatment. Right. It's like, okay. <laughs> the pretty big, pretty big treatment. Yeah. Cause that's like one of the few films that like Spielberg has written. Right. But it's like, okay, but you had the whole thing already. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's out there bragging about his AI script. <laughs> He might, yeah, he, he I might mean, be the first to tell you, I just took Kubrick's treatment and put it in script. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He's like, I just made Kubrick's film. Um, all right, so what? We're, we're going back in time now. What? What else do we need to trash talk here? So, I'm actually going to talk about uh, a director uh, who whose body of work I don't like. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna specifically, I'll address w- one film because it's the only film of his where I've actually been able to watch the whole thing. Um, and the the film is a movie called Playtime, from 1967. It is a French movie directed by a fellow named Jacques Tati. Tati was a mime, and in film, he is most known for a series of movies that he wrote, directed, and stars in as a character named Monsieur Hulot. Um, and the Hulot films are basically, they're, they're almost like silent films in the sense that his character is a, a sort of Chaplin-esque character. He's tall, he, he wears like a, a long coat and pants that are too short. And he's got a hat and a long pipe. And um, Tati was a guy who knew how to use his body, like, you know, for humor. And uh, the films don't really have a dialogue that's important. Like everything is visually told. There is dialogue and there are subtitles. But you don't need to pay attention to the dialogue because really what the film is doing is it's all visual humor. Um, and a lot of his films that I've tried to watch, I, like I said, I've seen Playtime in its, entire, in its entirety. And Playtime, I believe, is his most um, like acclaimed film um, and probably his most influential. I know that Punch Drunk Love, which is one of my favorite films, took some influence from Playtime and Tati. Okay. Kind of like, I don't know, in... The use of color, the way Adam Sandler's character moves, things like that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of admirable things about Tati's films. I've also tried watching a movie called uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday and another one called My Uncle. And I think My Uncle won him an Oscar for foreign language film. They're usually... Um, uh, I couldn't finish those movies. I could not... I could not get through them. I could not stand. Them. That's surprising because you're not a person who doesn't finish movies. That's correct. And I started with Playtime because it was the most acclaimed. And it I really had to force myself to finish it. And I thought, well, let me give his other films a shot. And I uh, two tries on those other two films, and I, I just couldn't do it. Like there's there's admirable stuff that I think he's trying to do in terms of like 
his movies are very colorful and I like color and they have a unique design. There's unique production design in all of them. I think in um, Playtime, like they built this massive set that was like a chunk of a city and they use the whole thing. And a lot of the stuff that he's doing is like making fun of like the modern world. Like uh, in uh, My Uncle, there's like the main character lives in this village where it's like people are running in the street and the windows are open and people are going in and out and there's a sense of freedom. Meanwhile, the character's sister lives in a modern house, which is surrounded by a fence and you have to be buzzed in. And the yard has like a concrete trail that you're supposed to walk on. Don't step on the grass. There's also like, uh, like a fountain and all the modern amenities, you know, the oven that does all the cooking, the, the machine that does all the cooking for you and stuff like that. And it's like, all I, I guess a lot of his films are kind of like poking fun of the modern world and like people's dependency on it. Like I imagine if he was alive in the time of the Apple Watch, he'd be doing something, making fun of the way people use it for everything, you know? Yeah. So why do I hate them? Or why do I hate this movie? I don't really know. They're... There's like this a whimsy to these movies that is really fucking annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and, and his work is maybe an example where the hatred is probably more rooted in I don't see what everyone else sees in the the work. Yeah, because they're like highly critically acclaimed. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's like Charlie Chaplin. Oh. Yes, and their influence are his films in like the Criterion or his entire filmography is in Criterion. There's wow. a box set. He only made I think like seven or eight movies. There's a box set, the films of Jacques Tati. His entire filmography is there. Like you know, there'll be like a, a wide shot of of a building where you can see all inside all the windows, and there'll be a lot of like visual humor of people going in and out and doing stuff and that sort of thing. Um, but they're also like all really long <laughs> and, and like, like playtime is, is a little over two hours. Um, my uncle is two hours long. I managed an hour into that movie. And I think that that's like one of the things is like these movies to me would be great if they were like 80 minutes long, but he will, mm. he will keep a joke going the same joke for a very long time. And it gets tedious. Like one of the things I like that he does is he'll use sound a lot because since these movies aren't dialogue driven, he'll try and find humor in the sound. So there'll be a gag where like a guy is sitting down waiting and then he thinks like, oh, I'm going to get called in. So he stands up and it, that's not his turn. Okay. And he sits back down and when he sits back down, you can hear the squeak of the chair. Mm. And that goes on for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's a funny joke, like once, twice, and three times, right? The rule of threes. But the, his films just drag to me. Yeah. So the hatred is, I mean, part of it is, is, is maybe even frustration at myself because I recognize things that I like in his movies. And I'm like, well, but why do I hate it here? 
why is this movie making me want to pull my hair out? Um, when he's doing things that like that I do enjoy in film that I would like to see more of. And that's what I have to say about Tati. Um, yeah. The film that, that, that we watched that we are not going to say the name of with Lewis, when Lewis returns, the film that we're going to. Oh yes. Yeah. Has a character. uh, The detective is basically doing Jacques Tati. Okay. I like Jacques Tati's influence. But I do not like him. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. Um, yeah. I've never heard of this person. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. I'll probably stay away. I think that I I first became aware of it when Punch and Glove came out. And I think I read in an yeah. interview that, that that was an influence. Oh, but yeah. That's interesting because it's always, I don't know. It's interesting when like, because it's hard to admit sometimes, I think as like a film person, um, when there's something that's like highly critically acclaimed, especially if it's on the Criterion Collection and you're just like, what? Why? You know, Um, it's hard to admit like that you don't agree with, I don't know, the... Um, I don't know what like the Criterion Collection or like you know other I don't know esteemed people think is yeah. like great cinema or whatever. Yeah, like, like, like Playtime, I know is is on, on the Sight and Sound list. I don't know where it is, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's within like the top fifty at least, maybe top twenty five somewhere in there. That's wow, that's kind of crazy. Um. I mean, maybe I would watch uh, Playtime at some point just to get an idea. Yeah, but... I mean, maybe you will like it, and you'll be like, yeah, maybe, and you'll be like Zach. I don't know what you don't see. Yeah, what are you talking about? This is hilarious. A joke only gets funnier. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens. I I think I do think that that happens with jokes sometimes. Is like it peaks, and then it's like okay, this is enough, but then it can over peak. Yeah. I mean, because you can, you can like drag it out and there's that point where you're like, okay, they need to stop. And then it gets funny again <laughs> yeah. as they keep going. Right. That, yeah. that can happen. Um, it just doesn't happen here. Apparently. Well, and not for you. I mean, it's, that's it. It's, and it's not for me. That's kind of the thing is like, uh, obviously his work, I'm glad that his work has influenced other films that I like. Um, but it, it's maybe it's like, it's like, oh, I, I love all the ingredients in this dish, but I don't like the dish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I love onions and I love peanut butter, but. Not together. <laughs> um, and it, it's also, it sucks when it's kind of like, oh, because. I could say, okay, Playtime didn't work for me. I, I tried two other films. And I was like, I really don't want to keep watching them. I don't think I like actively like stopped watching them. But I never finished them and I never went back to them. You know, like... Yeah, like, you're like, I, 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 I got something, it. Something like caused me to pause it and I never hit play again. 
Yeah. There was a uh, a Facebook post that um, Paul Schrader, the director Paul Schrader, who is strangely active on Facebook, um, he said something once like, I believe that at the gates of hell, everyone is given uh, a copy of the Criterion Collection box set of the films of Jacques Tati. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Who said that? Paul, Paul Schrader. Oh, okay. Uh, so he hates them too. I have a, a brother in arms. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you like Paul Schrader a lot. I do. Yeah, because I did not like Paul Schrader's last film. Oh, right. The Card Counter? Yeah. I, I was like, well, mm, no. But you liked it. I did. And he's he's actually made a film since called uh, Master Gardener. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, which I also yeah. Liked. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I I don't know. A card Counter might be one of my lower rated movies on IMDb uh, or on Letterboxd. It's uh, it, it to me it dragged. It just dragged on. Uh-huh. I thought Tiffany Haddish, like I like her, but she she felt like the wrong actress. Yeah. for that role. Um, and I don't know. I can't even really remember. It was just. It, it was just kind of boring. I don't know. Just to me, it's just a movie that didn't go anywhere. That's that's playtime to me. Yeah. <laughs> I found the quote. My definition, this is, this is Paul Schrader, my definition of a room in hell would be where they only show Jacques Tati movies. <laughs> uh, not, not like bodily torture or anything yeah. <laughs> uh that's great um well uh an older film from 1933 mm-hmm. uh for me that i just was like that I, I don't get it i don't get why people why the, these guys are as famous as they are uh. um <laughs> Duck soup with the Mark bro- the Marx Brothers. <laughs> I, you know, I had a feeling it was going to be a Marx Brothers film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, they're 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 iconic. Yeah, they're iconic. They're, even today, they I mean, there's a there's a um, there's an a, a emoji with Groucho Marx. Right. You know, like obviously penetrated um something <laughs> but like it's just not funny it's just not funny like i i don't get it like they're they're just running around like slapping people in the face and like i don't know it's it's like they're just they're just being annoying <laughs> uh, i mean you are right they are being annoying it's not it's not funny to watch people be annoying like, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, what What was the sensation? Um, was everybody back in 1933 just, like, a complete, like, dick? That they loved watching people, like, be tortured by the Marx Brothers? <laughs> like, Well, no. I, you know, and kind of, obviously, hating comedy films 
as we we've already seen with playtime is tricky right because humor is so subjective yeah like a, a lot of our other uh, films that we've discussed there might be like foundational things or disappointments that that are the reasons we hate them and when we get to comedy films it's tricky because it, if it's just like if the comedy is not your uh you know, brand, then it, it's just like, it, it just kind of, it has you scratching your head and going, well, what the fuck? Why, why is everyone laughing? This isn't funny. Yeah. I will say that I, uh, I'm a big Marx Brothers fan. Duck Soup is, um, uh, uh I think a, a fine film, but not my favorite. Uh, yeah. not even kind of near the top. If you ever felt like venturing, into their territory again. Um, my recommendation would be A Night at the Opera from 1935. I'm also, I'm a fan of uh, a movie they did called Horse Feathers, which I have no idea like where that stands, like in the pantheon of the Marx Brothers. But in like, in Horse Feathers, Groucho is the president of a university. <laughs> and, um, oh God, who's the, who's the normal Marx brother? One who's not a character who left the group. Harpo? No. Har Chico? Harpo, Chico, and who's the other guy? Zeppo? Zeppo. Zeppo is the straight man. Zeppo is like the, the one who is not a caricature. Because Chico is, he's the one who would talk like this. And Harpo is the same. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> well, you know... It also, I mean, one, it's their their work stems obviously from vaudeville, which is a very specific yeah. type type of comedy. Um, and also, something I noticed one some point years ago, I watched a bunch of their movies like for the first time, not a marathon strictly, but like over the course of a couple of weeks, I watched a bunch of Marx Brothers movies. And one thing I notice in a lot of them is there'll be a scene where they just perform music. Chico, uh, in real life, was a very skilled piano player. So there would always be a scene where he was playing a song on the piano and singing. And Harpo, as his name suggests, was a very skilled harpist. So there would just be a scene of Harpo playing the harp. I did. It did occur to me that in the 30s, a movie like that did need to kind of be like a review where there's jokes, there's slapstick, there's singing, there's dancing, there's a little bit of everything because there wasn't a way to like see that anywhere else, you know? Yeah. You couldn't just pull up a concert pianist on YouTube, right? So going and seeing a movie and being like, oh, you got a little moment where you got to see someone play the fucking harp. I mean, how many people do you know that? I know people who can play the piano. I don't know anyone who yeah. harp, you know? Yeah. And always shot in, in a way where you could see his face, so you knew it was him playing the instrument. Um, but obviously that doesn't uh, make the film better. It was just an observation. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can understand... Uh, duck soup. I mean, it is the only Marx Brothers film I've seen, and it, I think it was just overhyped. It was like, okay, I've heard about the Marx Brothers my whole life. 
I've seen Ab- Abbott and Costello. I've seen Charlie Chaplin. I've seen um, uh, Buster Keaton, you know. Uh, and then I get to the Marx Brothers, and I'm like, what? That's them? They're terrible. <laughs> well, and I think that every, you know, filmmakers and performers will always have a film that is the one that everyone talks about, the one that's always on the list. And you go and you watch the rest of their stuff, and you're like, well, I liked a lot of these better than that. That, that, that one that everybody talked yeah. about. Yeah. And that's, to me, yeah. that's kind of the March Brothers and Duck Soup, where I do like Duck Soup. I think it's got some good gags. But I think A Night at the Opera has better gags and horse feathers. So yeah. I'll, give them, I'll give them another shot. I'll give them another you know, shot because I, I want to understand. <laughs> I like like the thing. I think the first time I heard about the Marx Brothers was from Indiana Jones in, in the Last Crusade when uh, Sean Connery is like, should have hired the Marx Brothers or something like should it. You know, he's like making fun of Indy because yeah. he's like, should have sent the Marx Brothers instead or whatever. Gotcha. You know? I don't remember that. And I'm like, who is the Marx Brothers? I um Groucho is probably my favorite because I love verbal comedy and I love non sequiturs. And he, that is his whole thing is just non sequitur, funny lines of dialogue. Um, and that stuff makes me laugh. Yeah. The other two, like, uh, Zeppo was never really involved in the comedy and he left the group at a certain point. Um, but the other two, it's usually slapstick stuff. And, uh, I also like slapstick. (laughs) Yeah. If, if a guy can fall down and if that can make me laugh and it can, if it's done, you know, (laughs) if it's done the right way, uh, and they know how to do it. Yeah. I think uh, also Harpo is kind of like the birth of like prop comedy, I think. Mm. At least in like in in visual media. Yeah. There's a there's a bit I think it's in Horse Feathers where there's like a a a bar and uh, I think Chico's the doorman and he's like, what's the password? And the password is swordfish. So Harpo just pulls out a swordfish because he, <laughs> and he lets him in, you know. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give him another shot. Wow. For a podcast about worshiping cinema, these guys really hate movies, at least some movies. Um, that's the end of part two. I'm going to continue next week in part three. Uh, I got a little teaser here coming up for you of the beginning of next week's episode. I want to say thank you to Zach for um, coming on the show, helping me co-host while Lewis is out. So, um, yeah, thank you, Zach. And next week we'll continue with part three, and then we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program uh, where Lewis and I will be hosting together, and Zach will be back to bring us a, a film. So it'll be all three of us. Uh, Exciting times. Um, 
But that brings us to the end of the show. And of course, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio. You can follow us individually on Letterboxd. I'm at Selman Scope and Lewis is at Walker Lewis 3007. There you can keep up with what we've been watching on a daily basis, especially right now where Lewis and I aren't doing our trailer section where we're talking about what we've been watching. Hop onto our letterbox, see what we've got going on over there. Um, We also have all of our back episodes streaming, so please share the podcast with your friends. Find some episodes of some movies that you like um, where we break them down and let us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts and if you agree or disagree with us. Um, Of course, um, it would also be helpful and nice view to leave us a rating and review, even if you hate us. I mean, geez, we just got super critical on some filmmakers out there with their their works. But, um, you know, everyone deserves some criticism, including us. So bring it on. Uh, <laughs> um, I might regret that. But, uh, yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. And we hope to see you next Sunday for more Film Church Radio. Um I'm going to tease next week's episode now. Amen. So what so what else do you have? Oh, actually I have another movie that I I don't think I mentioned, but I'll I'll wait. Well, this is going to kind of connect to the Marx Brothers and I don't know if this also falls into I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I believe you've seen a film by this director and I don't think you liked it. And okay. uh, it's Woody Allen.